0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Muncie First Brethren Church with Pastor Jim Garrett. This week we begin a new series through the book of John. John speaks in his written gospel with the goal that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And it isn't a blind faith, as many would say, but a faith based in the evidence around us and the evidence presented in the Bible. Here's Pastor Garrett. As, as, uh, as we are reminded of, of the opportunities we have and, 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 you know, that we are to live our lives in a way that we understand that the good news of Jesus is to be presented in, in, in a way that is persuasive so that we understand it's not blind faith that we're talking about. We're not presenting religion. We talk about that often. We are We are living in the context of relationship because that's who God is. And we're to be an extension of that reality that God describes himself, reveals himself, and and makes every promise and provision based on this relational aspect of who he is. And Jesus is, of course, the fulfillment, the final fulfillment of of that promise and provision. So as we go into the Gospel of John, it's really important for us to kind of capture this idea, get this into our heads of, of why John wrote this Gospel. And he tells us why. He's very, very clear and actually very precise with, with, that, uh, with that instruction. But we have to go to the end of the Gospel to get that, to get that purpose. And that's okay, that was, that was kind of understood as they, as they uh, um, produced these kinds of letters and this kind of, this kind of work. And so as we go to that, that passage, we're going to look at two verses in John chapter 20. When John lays this purpose out and as we kind of capture this idea, we want to see the, the places that are important to him and to understand what it is that he is doing as he presents the, the information That we're going to look at together. It says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. the very first thing that jumps out at us us, is that John intends this book to be persuasive evangelism. He wants the reader to believe. And knowing that by uh, the the result of that believing is that they will have eternal life. But the object of that belief is presented so that the claims of the one in whom we believe are evaluated based on the signs that are given, the promises that are, that are there, the provision that, that, that he says will be true through the person of Jesus. And he says three things about him. He says that first he is the Messiah, the Hamashiach, the, 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 the anointed one of God. That's God's purpose being fulfilled, the promise of relationship in him, that he's the son of God. He has all the authority, all the place to make that connection so that in his life, he he fulfills the the role of Messiah in his relationship. He's the son of God. And and we're going to find out in the very first chapter that to those who believe, they are given the right to to what? To become the children of God of God, so that this authority is not rooted in blind faith, it's rooted in in who God is first, the the revelation of who he is in his son Jesus, so that when we believe, the result is that we have life, eternal life in his name. Those three things are, are significant. So he tells us that this is a book of signs, pointing us, leading us to believe. And it's very important for us to recognize that John is not presenting something that is blind, but he's presenting a faith that is based on evidence. And and in fact, one could say after reading and seeing all of that evidence... That to suggest that it's blind faith is a very uh, would be a very uh, uh, dangerous insult. A very uh, um, I don't know. It, it's a slap in the face to say that somehow John is just simply saying you just have to believe because that's not what he's saying. He's saying I want you to examine the person who makes the claims to see the evidence that points to the fact that he is who he claims to be so that when you believe in him the result the promised result is in him that becomes very important in the in the dialogue and in the in, in the descriptions that are given within the book of John it's not a delusion It's not a a leap in the religious darkness or uh, somehow some kind of of blind belief. And that remains one of our battles in, in the day and age in which we live, convincing others that that's a fact, that our belief in God is based on solid evidence. We live at a time that, in fact, if you say you have faith, you, you are, are made to feel certainly less at, 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 in the least description, but you should be ashamed if it, at the other end of that spectrum. That somehow you're just kind of lost your mind. You don't have the ability to rationalize and be reasonable. Religion is just the, you know, the, the, that which is fit for the masses in order to get them through. think John would have a lot to say about that accusation and certainly that battle. Skeptics demand evidence, but it's surprising to see so often that when given the evidence, they just simply dismiss it. it, It really comes out when you start reading different ones talking about the authorship of this gospel and whether or not it's John and and, and I'm not going to get into all of that because, quite frankly, the external and internal evidence for John being the author. And, and keep in mind, John did not present this and say, this is the gospel of John. He presented it just as it is given to us without a title. That was later associated. John had a, John had a follower who became a Christian. He was discipled by the Apostle John, this is not John the Baptist, this is John the brother of James, the son of Zebedee, the beloved disciple, as as we can, um, with pretty good assurance, identify from this gospel and other writings. But Polycarp was his first generation follower, believer in Jesus, mentored by this Apostle. There was another one who attached himself to Polycarp, his name was Irenaeus, and he was also a Christian, and he's the first one that said, oh, we know this has been handed down. This was written by John. Polycarp told me. And, and that's in essence what he says in his writings that happened within the, 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 the middle of like 120, 130 AD. And you have this kind of testimony and that's why it was then accepted. And that's true of the other gospels as well. That is typical. Don't be surprised by the fact that John didn't Write this and say, this is the Gospel of John. It'll be the fourth book in the New Testament, and it's going to go along with these other three. He did not intend it to be that kind of document. He tells us what he intended it to be. Thankfully, it was received, accepted, and passed on as the Gospel, the good news of Jesus, according to John the Apostle. That's why we have it today. So the evidence is overwhelming, and yet there are those who will look at the evidence and say, well, we're just not sure. We, we have reason, there are certain places, and a lot of them will look at the linguistics, the way it was written, the, the grammar, different places, and try to argue against the authorship of John. That, that, that kind of removes some of the validity. It kind of removes some of the integrity, pulls back a little bit, and they, they kind of like that place, it seems. But yet, in spite of all the evidence, if if that standard were were applied to any other, and and this was, uh, D.A. Carson is also a commentator who said, if they did to any other uh, uh, literature of antiquity what they do to the Gospels, and in particular John, they would be laughed out of the room. Because it does not flow out of the evidence. We have overwhelming, substantial evidence, and instead of looking at that and saying, yes, the conclusion is clear, they want to try so hard to find something to, to move it to another realm where it becomes easier to dismiss. And right now we live in a world where it becomes very easy to dismiss the revelation of God through Jesus Christ because of this assessment of the Gospels. And it's not based in reality. It's not based in the fact that the facts that are presented to us in terms of, of manuscripts and, and the evidence that is that is there before us. So that's all I'm gonna say about that. You're welcome to do more research. And if you have questions, let's dig it, dig into it and and, and flesh it out. We can do that. So we have to see that we are dealing with the most profound deepest claims in all of human history. So I want this to hit you in a fresh way. We'll start with some of these claims, not all of them. I'm not, we'll, we'll certainly run across them, but think of what Jesus said of himself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the resurrection life. He said that, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I'm the bread of life. And if you don't eat of this bread, you have no life in you at all. And then he said things like, before Abraham was, I am. These were were revolutionary claims. No other Messiah figure could make such claims. No one was. They might claim to be something but Jesus was claiming to be everything. And so he was presenting himself as a very exclusive uh, expression of God's love and God's desire for relationship. From the very beginning, every single sign leads to that point that Jesus is saying, the message is indeed exclusive but it is to everyone and anyone who will believe. It's the only message that can be so exclusive to include everybody who would believe. And so, again, we live in a day and an age where exclusion, where it says, well, your your message is just exclusive, that Jesus is the only way, so you're telling everyone else they're going to hell. We're saying, no, it it is exclusively through him so that anyone who believes, it doesn't matter where you've been, who you are, what's your background, where you were born. That's what's always been uh, powerful for me, the memory of of the young man from Russia who didn't have access to the Bible, but they had excerpts. And I I believe it was the Gospel of John, but I can never be be totally sure. But I just remember he was our neighbor. As we were leaving seminary, he was coming in. And, And so we would talk about Jesus, and guess what? With, with the, the, the lack of access to all of this information, he knew the exact same Jesus and believed in the same Jesus for life that I did. No difference, not one single discrepancy. We, we worshiped from that perspective. And, and I remember it just, you know, kind of hitting home that that's the way God works. So while God, with, with the revelation we have in scripture, that doesn't limit the God who will reveal that truth to others, even in the absence of that scripture. So, so in other words, they don't have to have a hard copy. The truth of who God is through Jesus Christ is still the plan of the Father and he will move them in that direction. That's what he did with this man from Russia, the man from China that I've described, again, a young man who won exposure to God's word that was found in the pornography section of the library. That that very night, Jesus says, it's true, I am the one who loves you and died for you, and you can be forgiven, and fell out of bed, said, if you're real then, I want to know you, I want to be yours, knowing that it cost him everything ultimately it could have cost him his life in the early 90s late 80s he had to leave russia he was banned or china he was banned from china his family could not have any contact with him he was talking at our chapel and seminary he loved jesus god revealed the the nature of who he was his love for him through the person of jesus with just that much i don't remember where he read i It was just enough before he went to bed, and amazing. That's what God does. So the claims of Jesus are indeed exclusive when he says, I am. Now, we have to come to terms with the fact that they're that, that extreme. They are that profound. And these claims are credible because of the evidence, not in spite of it. You might be told that you're just nothing more than a supernaturalist. He talked about being the son of God, the kingdom of God. He, 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 and and maybe, you know, maybe our world reflects a little bit of the Sadducees of the day. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. Claimed to be religious, but not really to know God. We're also tagged with the idea that we do have the exclusive claims of Christianity. We have to be careful there. What's exclusive is the person of Jesus, the presentation of Jesus. But all who know Christ affirm the fact that we don't come to him out of ignorance. We don't come come to him uh, out of just blindness. We come to him because our eyes have been opened. So many claim that the gospel writers didn't really understand other belief systems. They didn't know what they were doing when they were presenting Jesus in su- with such exclusive language. But it's quite opposite. We know just from, from the culture around them, they knew very much of other belief systems. And they didn't, they didn't hide from them. Those were in front. They were worn like badges. They were... They, they were very present. They knew what belief systems, what they included and what was there. So they knew that when they presented Jesus in this exclusive way, they knew exactly what they were saying. So again, the evidence tells us something different. So John, he leads us there. He takes us to these signs, and he is indeed laying stress on the exclusive nature of Jesus, pointing to the meaning of those claims. He's not afraid to put them there. He's not afraid to, to, to include what that would mean for those who, who are around him. He's not afraid to, so he's not creating a religion because Jesus says, unless you come to me, you're not, you're, you're going, you're, your life is governed by death ultimately rather than the life that is offered through me by God. So he doesn't shy away from those. He comes at it with, with full vigor, with the, the pedal to the metal, exalting the promised provision of the person of Jesus. And we'll come to the first sign in chapter 2. We'll see it broken up into these sections somewhat until we get to the like chapter 13 where he's with the last, in the Last Supper. But you find the, the wedding at Cana. And when we'll go back, now if we turn back to John chapter 1, we're just going to do a couple of verses to lay some groundwork. This first section takes us through the wedding of Cana. And it's there that we see the first of his miraculous signs, John said, in verse 11 of chapter 2. Jesus performed this in Cana of Galilee at a wedding. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. He said, they, it, it, up to that point, there was, and we know there's this, this graduated level of belief. And John said it was there. They saw this sign, and, 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 and we'll break it down when we get to it. But in this first section, we have this beginning where we see the word being eternal, reflecting what is said in Genesis that God said, and there was, God said, and there was, and John saying, "So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hmm. He was with Him, and He was Him, all at the same time. Well, sure. It, from a from from a human perspective, we're like." No, Duct tape, give me duct tape. My head's exploding. There's no way to wrap my little uh, dinosaur arms around that, around that thought. But John does not in any way try to explain all of the details. He just says, this is the pre-existing eternal nature of God and his son, Jesus Christ. And he doesn't argue with, and, know, and, and there were those who were already presenting a very naturalist perspective on everything around them. But John's going to say, not only did was he pre-existing, he was the creator, and everything came from him, and it was created for him. And that is, that is an interesting dilemma in our culture, because we have, we have those that are trying to say that the universe is all that there is. And, and and if God caused the universe, then what caused God? That's, that's uh, Richard Dawkins' famous little argument that he kind of sticks his chest out in a, in a symbolic way and raises his chin and says, yeah, answer that one, who created God? Which the presupposition and, and even the question itself is really childishly foolish. Because... If if nature is responsible for nature, you do have this eternal question that keeps going back and say, well, where was the first cause? We know there was a beginning point. What started it? And so now you have people like Lawrence Krauss, who is this pseudo-philosopher, but claims to be a scientist, who says, Well, we, we now know that nothing is not really nothing, but that nothing can produce something. And he says, he even says things like, Well, we know something has substance and and therefore we know nothing has substance because something or, or nothing is the absence of something so therefore we know that it has to be something <sighs> yeah exactly you go what and even those even those who are are, are within those circles are going what you know so so and, and it's interesting to hear guys like John Lennox in debates with some of these guys, philosophers and, and physicists, and he gets them to admit and say, so when you say nothing is responsible for something, you don't really mean the absence of anything. You actually have in mind that there's particles or something, energy, some sort of something that, that creates or, or is responsible. Well, and, and you will hear this in the debate, he will say, yeah, that's really what we mean. So he says, you don't mean nothing. And he says, well, thank you. Thank you for at least admitting that. See, they, they want you to be ashamed for believing that somehow these things came into existence and has to come into existence from something that is not natural, right? It, you can't have, the beginning has to be from something that's not like the thing created, so it's not surprising to see a God that's supernatural, that, that transcends material things and is immaterial, being responsible for what we see, unless you change the definition to exclude the possibility. And that's the world we live in. So if you say that there cannot be a supernatural cause, even though the evidence may suggest that that is the the most reasonable inference to make from that evidence, then you've just excluded what John says is an objective fact. So I don't just believe it because John says it, but I see John saying it and it coincides with what is, is revealed in Scripture already, but is also revealed in the evidence around us. And Paul had that kind of insight in Romans 1 as well. So when you say that the universe is self-existing and self-causing and and not able to answer those questions, you find yourself in the very verse that says they worship the creation rather than the creator. Declaring themselves to be wise, they become fools. And, And the whole reason is to get away from this God who's responsible for its existence, our existence, and the place that we have. The heavens declare the glory of God Only you and I are created in his image. Let that sink in for a moment. Let that kind of rock you in your place. John recognizes that and he brings them to the place in these existent statements, this language of fellowship, that there's complexity in this God that we worship. But it's revealed in this concept of Trinity. It's true that the word Trinity does not... It does not appear in the Bible, but the concept like here is, 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 is described and defined in so many different ways that God himself, he, he, he extends himself in terms of this fellowship, relationship we've called it. We, we've talked about verse 12. He wants us to be his children. That's by design. We don't know who the word is until verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. All we know is that this is God, his nature. We know John the Baptist, he's going to come as light and life in verse 3. And John the Baptist is there to point to him. He wasn't the the light. He's pointing to the light. There's an important statement here because he comes up again later. His place when he declares that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we see this extension and we'll see it there where we see the relationship offered when we believe, but full of grace and truth, telling us that the extension of that is his grace. That Remember, the, the root meaning of the word grace is to give. Charis means to give. So he's extending, and he's saying, I want to give. This is what I'm offering. Points us to Jesus to say, this is where you find it. No other place, So we have this question, can something come from nothing? And so John's answer is, not only in terms of the universe, but in terms of knowing God and relating to him, we live in a time where people claim to have something, and it arises out of nothing. And just as that is nonsense, that God extension of his love and and this relationship and his grace through the person of Jesus is defined precisely. And so when John lays this foundation that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he doubles down by saying he was with God in the beginning. He's been forever there. Through him, all things were made. Literally, it's through him all things came to be. Without him, nothing came to be that has come to be. That's how, how it reads in a choppy sort of way, but in a literal sort of way. And, and certainly this idea that things were made captures that, but they don't have existence apart from him. They don't have a purpose for existence apart from him. So so their place is defined by what he has given them. Their purpose for that place is defined by who he is. And and that needs to just kind of excite us because that's what everything boils down to. All of history is going to be a consummation of who Jesus is. The revelation, the fulfillment of that truth. That's the struggle of of our, 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 our world and its view and its system and its its heart, and why they keep running into things that to us look like, what are you doing? Have you lost your minds? Yes, because they've given them away. God gave them over. Again, reading Romans 1, you see this process. He gave them over to a what? A reprobate mind, a mind void of the ability to know right from wrong. The loss of common sense in just those simple questions. God is eternal. The universe is not. We, we, we know that no one created God. He's self-existing, self-sufficient. Self, uh, it, it's, it's in him. The attempt to dismiss God is the attempt to take him out of the picture. The status of the universe, the biggest finite we know, is not ultimate. Mass, energy... The universe or the multiverse, whatever theory is presented, does not explain where those things come from. By him, for him, flows in every direction. It's based on Jesus. John will later say and and talk about the fact that this is the declaration of God's glory in who Jesus is. We are made in his image, invited to be his children, based on his promises, the provision through the anointed one, the Son of God, the claims of Jesus in his sacrifice. Just think of, let me close with this. We, we, we look at little things. We look at the words on the screen, and we know, even if there were just one of those words, take out just, just one of them. And if we put it on that screen, we know its source. We know, and, and we don't have to question. Or if I put any of your names up there, you would know. And it would even be a marker of identity. Just consider the fact that we have one word that's three and a half billion characters long, and while we can look at any, any small word and know that it comes from intelligence, we look at this word that's three and a half billion uh, characters long in the DNA molecule, and we can look at it and go, I'm pretty sure that's just by accident. It's just by chance. But if you write their name on a piece of paper, they know that that didn't happen by accident. What has happened in our minds and in our hearts that we can so easily dismiss the God who has revealed himself everywhere? And and again, Paul tells us this in Romans 1. We We see that divine power in his nature in just the general creation, but then specifically took the time to say, but here's what I really want you to know about who I am. Let me show you, my son, what he did for you as an extension of my grace and my love and my mercy. So that when we go back to the foundations, there's a reason that's important, because if you remove the foundation for life and then the question of sin, why then did Jesus die if if that wasn't a part of the, 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 the way things were working? He died because of that sin. Paul says it. Jesus says it himself. This is the blood of the covenant shed for you. So I'm not going to point anyplace else. I'm not going to apologize for not pointing anywhere else. I'm not going to pull back from the claims of Jesus. Nope, not going to be heard from here. You're going to know that this excites me. This is my passion for, for who Jesus is and who I am as a result of God's love for me, put on display and given through his son, and it's for you and for everyone around you. We're not praying for just some kind of a uh, uh, blind belief. We want them to see Jesus. That's what John is putting before us. Take the journey with me. Let's get excited about what we see together. Song of Response says, "I'm going to surrender." Pick this very early in the week. Later in the week, I thought about changing it, but and Marjorie and Darlene could have handled it. But just think about the truth that is revealed and say, I'm willing, all to him I'll freely give. But I'm asking you, I'm not asking you just to take it because I say so, I'm asking you to examine the claims of Jesus with me. Look at the Gospel of John, look at the changing the water into wine, the cleansing of the temple, Nicodemus in chapter 3, the woman at the well in 4, feeding of five thousand five, 6, where he's the bread of life, 7, where he goes to the feast of tabernacles. This is why I get excited about it. I can't forget it. John 8, when he tells those who believe, this is it. God could raise up children of Abraham right here, but you're you're wanting to kill me. That means you're not connected to the truth or to God. The reason you don't take my words is because you don't know him. John 9, the blind man. 10, the question of the sheep and the door and the shepherd. 11, raising Lazarus. I'm the resurrection and the life. Every claim, I want you to look at them and say, Father, I, I, I want to see this, and don't, don't bring anything else. Let it speak to you, because the Holy Spirit will reveal then that truth that John is presenting. That that's who Jesus is. We'll walk there together. Let's do this. Let's surrender together right now.